Whenever I have the privilege of preaching God's word, like I think every other pastor at Lakeside, I do a lot of study. I have a lot of thoughts about things, but my thoughts don't matter. God's thoughts matter. And so I want to make sure I get what God says correct. And so I spend a lot of time studying the text. I spend a lot of time reading commentaries. And I'm generally trying to come down to one ultimate question, at least, that drives my messages and my teaching, which is, why is this in the Bible? Why did God put this here? What did he want me as a believer to know? And if I can figure that out, it's what he wants every believer to know. Because as the scripture we read this morning, it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. It's a matter of what God intend. He moved men by the Holy Spirit to write these words. Why is it here? And so I'll spend a lot of time studying that because I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. I want to know why is this in the Bible? And sometimes that can be challenging depending on the text, but in the text we're dealing with this morning, it's actually very clear. In fact, I think without fear of contradiction, I can say this is why this is in the Bible. But then once I come to that conclusion, and I normally will actually take the time to write it out in a sentence, once I come to that conclusion, then I start looking at what does the text mean in a broader sense and how does it apply in our time? Obviously, parts of the Bible were written at least 2,000 years ago, some even longer than that in the Old Testament. So I look at our culture. And when I look at our culture, I don't look at the general worldwide culture. I look at America. Why? Because this is where I live. This is where our church is located. And I know if you're going to be influenced, I'm one of your shepherds, with the other elders, I'm one of your shepherds, if you're going to be influenced on things, of course it could be influenced by something around the world, but particularly with Christianity, in all likelihood, it's going to be with what's happening in America. That's what's going to impact you. So as I get to that part of my studies, I start looking at broader things of what's going on in the culture, what's happening around us, what's happening in Christianity, what's happening in America. And with the topic that we're going to be covering this morning that led me to certain places, and I can tell you, It wasn't very fun because our culture doesn't look very nice right now. I'm not talking just about the secular culture. I'm talking about the Christian culture of America. There are good churches in America. I think Lakeside is one of them. I praise the Lord for Pastor Steve, 40 plus years faithfully, week after week, feeding us the word of God. But if you don't know, and this is the only church you've ever been in, You can praise the Lord because these churches are few and far between. Far too many churches are doing something entirely different. But as you look, most Americans, particularly unbelievers, they lump us all together as all other Christians. They don't know about Lakeside. And so while there's some solid, strong churches that you might know of in America, as a whole, Christianity in America is an absolute mess right now. The scandals and sin and abuse and greed and immorality that are carried on within churches are appalling. The headlines are there all the time. There are pastors in prison for financial crimes, for sexual crimes. There are pastors that should be in prison that are still preaching. There are lives ruined by the abuse and misrepresentation of the gospel, mistreatment within the walls. Their ministry is devoted entirely to things that have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. They're money-making machines. They're charlatans who steal and enrich themselves all under the umbrella of Jesus. And we're all lumped in together in the eyes of the culture. 
what always makes it shocking and disturbing if you see these trends is that if you read the Bible at all, you shouldn't be fooled. The Bible is so clear on these things, and yet across America, people are being deceived. In fact, as you're sitting here listening to me around our country, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are in churches, and far too many of them will not hear any biblical truth. They're going to hear what they want to hear. I used to think before I was a pastor, it's like, how can people believe this? As I started learning about Christianity, I wasn't saved till I was an adult, and I was already a lawyer, so I was trained to be cynical. I thought, how can people fall for this? Why would people send that person money or that person money, and yet they're only prospering today? How can people be so gullible? It's very simple. They don't listen to the plain meaning of the word of God, and they're not taught it. They don't read and understand passages like we will cover this morning that really clearly point out the dangers. The very kind of people who are scandalizing Christianity in America are clearly called out by our text today. And they could not create a scandal if they didn't have people following them. If their churches was empty, we'd never hear about it, but their churches are not empty. They're big and they're getting bigger and it's damaging the cause of Christ. So you know what I'm gonna talk about today. I'm gonna talk about a danger within the church, specifically a danger of false teachers. The focus of the text is straightforward. Peter in 2 Peter chapter two, verses one to three, the very end of my Bible reading this morning, calls out false teachers. In fact, the entirety of the chapter deals with that, but what was said 2,000 years ago is as relevant as ever today. In fact, all of chapter two will deal with false teachers. Verses one to three summarize everything. That's all we're covering today. If you read the rest, it would just elaborate and give more detail. And the scripture reading was just setting the stage for this. Chapter one's a beautiful chapter. I go to it often in counseling and in my own personal walk because it's a promise that God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have a hurdle to go over, God's already given you everything you need. We have the scriptures. They're not man-made opinions. They are the very words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. God has poured out all those things on us. And yet Peter warns the church. He was attesting to the reliability of these things. He was an eyewitness. He was reminding them, look, you're not believing fairy tales. These aren't made up things. God spoke But even as God spoke in the Old Testament, false prophets rose up and that's where he's gonna go because today we deal with false teachers. So chapter one was a reminder of the truth and sufficiency of all that God's given us, including in his word. And then our text today deals with one of the great dangers to the church. It's a danger that I started understanding. The Lord was opening my eyes to it long before I was ever a pastor. Once I was saved, I began to realize that a lot of people that I'd heard about and watched weren't saying what I thought they were saying. False teachers are everywhere in churches in America. And I praise the Lord that I don't believe there are any at Lakeside. Your elders take this seriously. If we find somebody teaching even something that's aberrant, we'll immediately deal with it. We don't want false teachers to be here, but by me saying that, don't tune out and say, well, then that's a lesson for someone else. Because I can tell you, I've talked to countless people at Lakeside that are listening to false teachers. 
through the internet, through podcasts, through books, through the radio, through music. So understand that while Lakeside, I believe, by God's grace, is a place teaching the truth, don't think you're immune to the impact of false teachers because they're everywhere. So Peter's addressing it head on. And if you think, well, okay, I understand for other people, but I've been a believer for a long time. I've got nothing to worry about. Just take seriously Jesus' words. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Satan's good. Remember, a third of the holy angels who were standing in the presence of God became demons because they took their eyes off the majestic one and followed the lies of Satan. So I already read the scripture that we're going, and this morning I have a simple outline. It's not creative, it's not complex, it's just four characteristics of false teachers because why I believe this is in the scripture is Peter wants the church to be aware. He wants every one of you to not be fooled by these types of people, and so we're gonna see their characteristics. Three of them are descriptive, and then one of them is to tell you God's got it under control. So the first characteristic of a false teacher, and we'll see this in verse one, is this, deception. Deception. Now that might seem intuitive because of the word false, but let's look at the text because it matters what's at stake. Peter is dealing with the prophetic word made sure, with the precious and magnificent promises of God, with those words that were inspired not by man's opinions, but by the spirit of God. And he uses an analogy to point out the danger. It's an analogy pointing back to the Old Testament and the history of the people of Israel, and he's saying this is playing out now. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's just spent the end of chapter one talking about how the Bible came about and, and true prophets. And he says there were true prophets, the word of God was going out, and then there were false prophets side by side. That's the history of the Old Testament. Anytime that someone's speaking the truth of God's word, Satan's there to pervert it. It happened in the garden. Did God really say? Jeremiah 23, 16 says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. This is really building into what Peter is saying about false teachers because they're doing the same type of thing. Ezekiel 22, 28. Her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. There are countless texts and examples. Peter is just appealing to this history and saying, look, it happened then, it's happening now. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false prophets among you. Again, this is a direct warning. This isn't a warning about the broader culture influencing Christians. This isn't dealing with whatever government is in power. This isn't dealing with any external forces. This is saying among you. He's talking about in the church. False teachers are gonna be on the inside. And understand this, they're not going to come in with a shirt that says, I'm a false teacher, can I preach? No, they don't come in that way. 
they disguise themselves as Christians. Many of them are gifted speakers. They can tell a good story. If you listen to them, they'll have your attention. They're nothing but masters of disguise. A passage that I go to often when I think about these things is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. And it tells you what we're up against in the broader theological sense. It tells you the motivation. And I think it reinforces what Peter's saying about false teachers among us. Paul says this, verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. In fewer words, that's exactly what Peter is saying. You got to look out for these people. They're in disguise. You won't see them. They don't have a funny hat. They don't have a tattoo that says, this is me. They look like anybody else. At least at some point, the tares and the wheat don't look that different. Jude described the exact same thing. Jude's just one chapter, so there's not chapters. But in verse four, Jude mentions, certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Peter is dealing with that very issue. It's people that come through the door, you don't see anything wrong with them, and eventually they wind up here. They've just kind of snuck in. And now they do their damage. They sneak in without calling attention to themselves. And when they have the opportunity, these false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Again, the whole idea here is something stealthy. It's happening without you knowing it. They're not burning a Bible. They're just talking about something that you didn't know was in the Bible. They're saying, thus saith the Lord, except that's not what the Lord said. They will secretly introduce their teaching. The idea is like a smuggler. You don't even know it's there. They may be using some of the words that you're familiar with. They may bring in something. They may say something true. Satan knows theology. Satan said true things. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. He quoted it out of context. But he tried to tempt Jesus with scripture. So a false teacher may very well use scripture. But alongside scripture, they're they're smuggling in. They're bringing it in so that you don't know it's there. They don't always announce, I'm teaching something new and different. You won't find it in your Bibles. They'll really say, you just didn't know what your Bible said. Let me show you. Kind of slips in. Maybe it's a little issue over here, a little issue over there. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. After all, they claim to believe the Bible, even though by their teaching, they flatly contradict it. They smuggle in these ideas. They secretly introduce destructive Heresies, in other words, these are men's opinions. These are satanically inspired opinions. No doubt at times, doctrines of demons, as the scripture alludes to. It's contrary to the truth handed down once for all to God's people. It's contrary to the clear meaning of the scriptures, but they're so good, it's a bait and switch. You don't even know what they're doing. It's not innocent, it's destructive. It leads to harm. For a true believer, it will lead you down a spiritual path of bankruptcy. For unbelievers, it keeps them in the darkness. 
And sadly, because we live in a culture that de-emphasizes truth, the churches all around us quite often are de-emphasizing truth. Well, we don't really know. But yeah, it says that, but maybe it meant something different back then. And really, let's just focus on love. Churches are so focused on keeping the pews filled and keeping people happy that they're not concerned about telling people the truth. And these false teachers who've slipped in, crept in unnoticed, they're secretly unpackaging these things. They're teaching things that will destroy you. And here's the difficulty and the sadness. Part of why my research yesterday was depressing. These teachers aren't exposed and rebuked. They're actually welcomed into churches because many churches in our country, far too many, fit the model that Paul described to his young disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. If you simply look around, you see this playing out in real time. It's happening in church after church after church. And these false teachers are welcomed because they're saying what people in their sinfulness want to hear anyway. We live in a therapeutic self-esteem culture. If you hear about your sin, boy, that'll make you feel bad and we don't want to make anybody feel bad. So let's just tell them their sin's not sin. They'll feel happy, but it's a destructive heresy that it will destroy Again, what jumped out at me is that teachers that could be seen 20 or 30 years ago as false teachers, not only are they not receding, they're thriving. They're popular. In fact, I was going to name some false teachers, and as I started going through, I was overwhelmed. We don't have enough time. You'll be here through the Super Bowl, me listing false teachers. (laughs) And you'd recognize their names. They're everywhere. They're on TV. They're on podcasts, they're on the internet, they're on YouTube, they're publishing books, they're speaking at conferences, they're speaking at conferences with people that aren't false teachers that should know better. They're amassing huge audiences. They have massive influence. We've got a few hundred people here at Lakeside. They've got tens of thousands listening to them even now. Not all of them started out bad. Some of them started out as close to us and then over time... They secretly went another way. I I can prove all of this just by the idea of sexual morality. We understand that it wasn't that long ago, even in America, the secular world understood marriage is between a man and a woman. For that matter, we believe that there was such a thing as a man and a woman, but that's another story. (laughs) But we knew what marriage was. In secular school, I was taught that sex is supposed to be between a man and a woman in marriage, But what has happened in our culture rapidly, not only is that sexual ethic gone, it's invaded the church. Church is celebrating homosexual couples. Church is celebrating marriage and divorce as though it's no big deal to God. Church is tolerating out-of-sex sexual relationships between singles, between teenagers, and all the while just saying, don't worry about it, God doesn't mind. How does all this happen? How do churches start promoting things that are an anathema because they don't read the Bible 
and they don't teach God's word. The Bible's clear. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, words that our culture doesn't want to hear. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And there are churches that are saying, no big deal. Now, we understand because of all of Scripture that that was us before Christ. Paul says, such were some of you. Praise the Lord, we've been saved out of all those things if we go around the room. But the point is, it would be a betrayal of God and a betrayal of his word for anyone to say, engage in those behaviors, God doesn't care. He does care. Be holy as God is holy. And yet this type of false heresy has slipped into churches everywhere. People that have more persuasive words have slipped into pulpits and they slipped into podcasts and they've slipped into TV and they're amassing countless people who follow their lies such that they can reject the clear teaching of scripture by pretending it doesn't say what it says. They secretly do it. And sadly, they're successful. Now what's interesting is Peter begins to talk not just about what they say, they secretly introduce destructive heresies, but he also talks about how they live and their lives by themselves are a deception. He says, who will secretly introduce destructive heresy, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now, there's a separate point at the end that will deal with destruction. Peter's just saying, look, they're not gonna get away with it. They're digging their own grave, so to speak, in our vernacular. But some people have misunderstood this. But what he says is they're denying the master who bought them. In other words, what he's really saying is by their lives, they deny Jesus. Now, how does that look? Certainly, there are many false teachers who teach wrong things about Jesus. In fact, there are cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness who are way off completely. And then there are others who will say good things about Jesus. They believed he lived and died. They may even say he's God. They're not following Jesus. Even long before I was a pastor, when I was first saved, my eyes were first opened by God. One of the things that would always jump out when I was reading the Gospels was Jesus' interaction with demons. And it's interesting because this is false teachers, as we've already read, they're influenced by Satan. They're following his game plan. But the demons didn't deny Jesus specifically. For example, in Luke 4, and 34, we read this, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Understand this, demons believe God. They believe in God. James 2.19 says this, you believe that God is one, and for a Jewish person, that was the affirmation of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. 
So the denial of a false teacher of Jesus might not be in the form of Jesus didn't live and die. It might not even be in the form of saying Jesus wasn't God's son. It may just be in the form of the fact of I don't care if he's God, I'm not following him, which is what the demons did. The demons denied Jesus with their rebellion when they turned and followed the father of lies, Satan. False teachers may use Bible passages about Jesus. In fact, I've seen them and I would encourage you to go look for it because it's blasphemy. I've seen them claiming they talked to Jesus on their special trip to heaven. Here's the bottom line. They claim Jesus is their master. They might even affirm like a demon, he's the holy one of God. But they don't treat him like their master, they reject him. A master is one that oversees, owns a slave. The king of kings, the lord of lords. We have a duty as believers, it's a very clear duty. 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. In fact, Jesus in Luke 6, 46 is this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I think that's the ultimate issue that Peter is addressing here. He's not saying they don't mouth the words Jesus. He's not saying that they deny that Jesus was in existence or that Jesus did what the Bible says he did. They're denying him by saying, I'm not gonna follow him. I'm not gonna live as he's called me to live. In fact, I'm gonna live the way I wanna live. They claim to be lovers of Jesus even as they deny his authority over their own lives by how they live and reject him. Even denying the master who bought them. Now, it's that clause who bought them that trips some people up. Some get tied up on that and say, well, then that sounds like the false teachers were bought by the blood of Jesus and if they were bought... Does that mean Jesus died for everybody? I mean, we heard sermons by Pastor Steve on particular redemption, the extent of the atonement. Others would think, well, maybe he was saved and then he lost his salvation. There are people that teach that. That's not the case. Scripture says that now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. I don't think Peter's contradicting any of this. What he's playing off of and what he's dealing with is the false teacher's assessment of themselves. They're claiming to be Christians. And who are Christians? Those who have been bought by the blood of Christ. They're saying, I'm a part of that group. I'm bought. But then they deny the very master they claim falsely to believe in. Going back to 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, remember these people are deceitful. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they would have the t-shirt that says, bought with the blood, even though they're denying it with their very lives. That's the issue. They're apostates. They're liars. Perhaps some of them experience good churches and good family life. In fact, it pains me to say I remember at least one situation of somebody I was in seminary with that's an apostate. These people are evil. They've been disguising and playing things. But they would even go so far as to deny with their lives the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Again, he says they're going to bring swift destruction upon themselves. That'll be the fourth point because it's also in verse 3. He's not saying they're going to necessarily drop dead in the middle of a sermon like Ananias and Sapphira did when they lied to the Holy Spirit. But he is saying at the moment they pass from life to death, they will instantly realize they've dug their own grave. So that's the first characteristic to look out for, deception. The second characteristic is this, immorality. Immorality. And it comes from verse two. Verse two says, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Now, when I first started reading this, it was a little confusing because I'm always trying to identify who are the people, who is the many, who's the there, who's the them. And so as I looked at it, it was a little bit confusing and reading other English versions wasn't illuminating things clearly but with a little study and understanding the, what's going on, it can make sense. So what he is not saying, he's not saying that many false teachers will follow after their own sensuality. That's not it at all. Actually, what he's doing is the many is referring to the people in the pews and the their sensuality, that is the false teachers. And what he's saying is this, the people in the pews are following the example of their pastor. Because of the immorality of the false teachers, many of the people in the church will be willing to engage in immorality also. Again, it's tragic, but we see it playing out all around us with the issues of sexual morality in America. Many people in the church are gonna fall for the charlatans. They're not just gonna hear the destructive heresies, they're gonna believe them. And they're gonna follow the lifestyle of their teachers. If the pastors do it, the pastor says it's okay, well, must be okay. Many will follow their example of sensuality, their sensuality. Sensuality here is clearly referring to sexual immorality. It's interesting, God created everything good, including the sexual relationship, and sin has tainted everything, including that good gift from God. God planned for sexual relations to occur between a marriage between one man and one woman. That's the exclusive province and domain. And as soon as sin entered the world, that God-given plan has been under attack, such that now any sexual activity is considered okay. Yes, God put restraints, but we're going to free you from those restraints. That's what false teachers are doing. God said sexual relation. No, no, no. God didn't say that. Homosexual. No, no, you misunderstood. No, God wants you to embrace all those things. The Bible has boundaries. The Bible says some things are not okay and these false teachers in our situation along with the culture around us are saying boundaries, that's just guidelines. Those are suggestions. And it's coming from the pulpit first. These false teachers are indulging their sexual appetites. They're not restraining their sexual impulses. They're willing to cross any boundary for their own personal satisfaction of their sexual desires and they're just telling all the people in the church, that's okay, follow, come along. In fact, a lot of the pastors are preying on the members of the church. For time's sake, I won't read it, but when Jude was talking in verse four of his book about those who crept in unnoticed, one of the things he mentions was licentiousness. Later, 
In verse 18, he'll mention that they follow their own ungodly lusts. Here's the ultimate picture. These false teachers are living out the reality of 2 Timothy in many cases. 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins in the first five verses with a horrible picture of what I remember reading it the first time. I'm like, this describes America. But in the last days, how people will be. And in talking about some false teachers, verse 6, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. In other words, some of the false teachers are going to satisfy their sexual perversions with members of the church. These false teachers say the old rules are limiting them. That's not what God wants. God wants you to be happy. If you have those desires, they won't tell you they came from sin and Satan. They'll say, God put those there. You can have sexual freedom, indulge. It doesn't matter. God's happy. Homosexuality isn't really wrong. Don't worry about it. Divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage. God doesn't mind any of that. Sex outside of marriage, God understands. You're only human. Don't fight against it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie these false teachers are living and they're leading their people into the same pit. Peter describes it later in the chapter. He elaborates on this very phrase. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter two, he says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. In other words, they're preying on the church. Verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man has overcome, by this he is enslaved. It's happening everywhere. That's why so many Christians don't have a biblical view of sex because they're being led by people who are saying, don't worry about it, God's okay. And they still call themselves believers. And they're on the broad road leading to destruction and they don't know it because they're following the guy in front. What's tragic and part of why it was discouraging to me when I was looking at this for America and seeing how pervasive it is, I already knew it, but being reminded of it didn't help, is what Peter says happens when people in the church follow the immoral example of their false teachers. He says, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of the truth is just a description of the true gospel, the life of Jesus. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What Peter is saying is when you have immoral churches following immoral leadership, it taints the gospel. That's where we live. If you talk to the average unbeliever in America, they can't tell you the difference between Lakeside or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church or a Mormon church. They don't know the difference. They throw us all in the same bucket because we say something about Jesus. But all of those false teachers that are gathering followers and all the immorality that's spreading within buildings calling themselves churches is damaging our testimony. It's damaging the gospel. That's why it's so important that we stand up against it and never go along. The rest of the world just comes to the conclusion, hey, they're just hypocrites like us. This is great. I can go to church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we used to be, we're desperately not anymore because Jesus died for sinners like us. 
Again, you watch Christian cults. The leader winds up having sex with everybody. Jim Jones and David Koresh and Warren Jeffs. But it's not just the cults. There's not a week goes by that I don't read about someone whose secret life was exposed. I'm not talking about somebody who's fighting against sin or temptation. I'm talking about people who are living a double life. People like the name Ravi Zacharias, we understand. Someone that was respected for years and then it becomes clear that he lived a life of immorality that some knew about and tolerated. The Southern Baptist denomination has been embroiled in controversy. Countless churches of sexual scandal, including some of their top leadership engaging in criminal sexual behavior, it impacts the way of truth. Even though Roman Catholics are not orthodox at all, it brought damages the minds of others to the way of truth with their pedophile priests that happened over decades. The reputation of true Christianity in America is in tatters because of all of this. That's what Peter was warning about. Because that type of behavior within churches maligns the way of truth. Don't let it be us. And as sad as the sexual immorality is, that might not even be the primary motivation of false teachers. That's just part of what they do. And that leads to our third characteristic of false teachers. First is deception. Second is immorality. Third is greed. Greed. Verse three. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Now that should be enough to put every false teacher in America out of business. But there's a lot of wealthy pastors because people don't read this and understand it. Jesus was clear in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Peter's making it clear, these false teachers, one of their characteristics is they serve wealth, not God. The use of the name God or the word God is such simply a means to an end. They want money and more of it. Now, in no way is Peter criticizing someone who takes a salary for work. It's very clear from Scripture. I won't read it, but 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18, for example, it's appropriate for a faithful pastor to be paid for the work of ministry. In fact, if you're here for Sunday nights and Pastor Steve's messages through Corinthians, he even talked about Paul chose not to exercise that right, but Paul is very clear. Look, I'm entitled to be paid for the work I'm doing in the ministry. That's not what Peter's talking about. What he's talking about are people not doing the sincere work of the Lord and getting a subsistence living. He's talking about people who are living it up. They're getting rich. They suppose that godliness is a mean of gain. In fact, and I won't read it, but Colossians 3, 5, you can see this type of greed amounts to idolatry. They are idolizing money. They want it. That's the American dream is more money, right? We don't look up to godly people, we look up to billionaires. We all want what they have. Give me more money. It's corrupt desire of fallen flesh. But it's even more tragic when that kind of attitude comes into the church. And Peter had seen it up close. It's interesting, he had an account of a, a different Simon, not Simon Peter, a magician who saw real biblical Christianity being lived out and thought, I bet I can make money off this. Acts 8, verses 18 to 20. Now when Simon, not Peter, saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. 
saying, give me, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what he's thinking, how much will people pay for that? This will be great. I can have a line, I can make a lot of money. Peter said in verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Greed in the church or a recipe for disaster. It's already destroying America. Forget that, it's destroying the church. Pastor who is motivated by money is not going to be looking out for the heart interest of the people. He's just gonna be trying to figure out how do I get more? Again, for time's sake, I won't read it, but if you go to John chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, Jesus contrasted himself. He said, I'd lay down my life for the sheep, but a hireling is gonna run when the wolf comes. Blending all these analogies together, Peter's saying, in this case, the wolf is the pastor. The wolf is over the sheep and he's fleecing them. He's taking their money. He says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They're taking advantage of you. They're gonna do whatever it takes to get you to open up your pocketbook, to give your credit card number, to have you click on that link to give online. They will lie, they will extort, they will use destructive heresies. Whatever it takes, they're the dishonest used car salesmen of the church. They're the crooked lawyers who will give you the piece of paper and say, you don't need to read it, trust me, just sign right here. They will make up whatever story or situation is needed to get you to give. I read a tragic story of a person who had given to a particular ministry. Now, the pastor of that ministry is now in jail. Still sending out, by the way, fundraising emails from jail. But he had the number. This is the number of the gift. Well, how do I know this is how much I have to give? Well, because God told me that's how much you have to give. Now, somebody figured out that it was also the number address of his $1.5 million condo. I'm sure that was coincidental. That type of corruption, though, happens every single day. These false teachers are all over the place. I went to heaven and I saw. God told me, I have a vision. And because people don't open up the word of God to see if these things are so, people are sending in their hard-earned money. They are exploiting the people. And they're happy to do it. It was sickening reading of the excesses of pastors who only drive Rolls Royce. They have multiple private jets. Don't go looking for it, but I watch videos of pastors just bragging about this jet and that jet. They're worth tens of millions, in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars, and every time you see them on TV, they say, send me more. You need to plant a seed. This is how you get your money. They've crept in unnoticed. And they're introducing destructive heresies and some of them are simply to get you to give them money. You would think in this day and age that everybody would see through it. There's been enough television documentaries, there's been enough news articles, there's been enough pastors and crooks who have been caught and exposed and yet a lot of the people who have been caught and exposed are still on TV today. They're still collecting money, they're still making millions. And they use their false words to justify it all. Let me encourage you, be careful who you give money to. Be careful who you listen to, but be careful who you give money to. There are good ministries that have lists of false teachers. Do some homework. If you have doubts, ask one of your elders. One of us will know, and if we don't know, we'll know how to find out. 
Don't just click on the link. Just because somebody says this encouraged me, it doesn't mean it's true. Be careful. Be discerning. Those hustlers will take your money too. Now, all of this is not fun. One of the things that's disturbing is that these charlatans that are exploding aren't getting less popular, they're getting more popular. They're writing more books. They're making more money. They have a bigger audience. One prominent pastor, 30 plus thousand people every single Sunday giving him money because he's got a nice smile and he makes them feel good. But understand this. They may brag about their fleet of seven airplanes as one pastor did or they may only drive a Rolls Royce as another pastor did or they may buy their wife a $200,000 car because the Lord told them to as another pastor did and their churches are shiny and bright while Lakeside doesn't look so good by comparison but don't envy them pity them and pray for them because that leads to our final characteristic of false teachers deception, immorality, greed but the fourth and final point is this damnation damnation Peter says this at the end of verse 3 their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep it's a courtroom picture they are living it up right now They're taking the five-star holidays. They're staying in the $10,000 suites. They're flying in their private jets. They're driving their luxury cars. But at some point, their eyes will close for the last time and God's waiting for them. But not with open arms, but with his wrath. The judgment that's always been proclaimed against those who deceive and lie isn't hidden, it's not idle, it's there and God's not asleep the verdict's already guilty they're getting what's coming to them it's a sobering warning because we can be tempted by the shiny things I can tell you as a pastor you see those types of success and look at those facilities and boy if we only had half of that what could we do for the gospel don't spend time thinking that way God will deal with those who are perverting the gospel and that's the case with false teachers. I was on a criminal jury once in California. It was surprising they didn't kick me off because at the time I was a practicing attorney. But I remember coming in, I was the jury foreman and we gave the verdict to the judge and the defendant standing there and as they always do, they ask the defendant in the rise and up to that moment, the defendant's wondering, I wonder what the answer is. Guilty or not guilty? Now, I can tell you in this case, he left under the escort of a lot of deputies because he was a bad man and he was guilty. What Peter's saying is there's never a moment where there's a possibility of anything other than judgment. These false teachers don't have hope because they've denied Jesus with their hard hearts. So the end of all this is clear. Be careful. Again, I know you're going to get good teaching from Lakeside by God's grace. Pastor Steve is one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. He's going to preach the truth. But I also know because I've talked to some of you, you're listening to other people who are heretics and you don't know it. And for some of you, and it's happened with me, even when someone points it out to you, you say, well, no, 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 I don't believe it. They're not that bad. Yes, they are. 
Just because somebody smiles and says Jesus doesn't mean they have anything to do with him. I'll close with some final words from Jesus. One of the most terrifying pictures that I know of. And I'll just read a part of it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Don't be deceived. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I always fear that I can't do justice to the depth of your word. But Lord, I pray that the warnings that Peter has given to the church would be heeded by everyone who hears my voice. Lord, I thank you for places like Lakeside that preach the truth. I thank you for my fellow elders. I thank you for Pastor Steve. And Lord, I realize that there are churches like this around the country and around the world, but far too many churches are pastored by people who have secretly crept in and are teaching people lies. Lord, I pray that you would save those who are in those ministries, that they would come out from under those false teachers. Lord, I pray that you would diminish the influence of those teachers, though for your own purposes you allow them seemingly to flourish even though they will be judged. And Lord, I pray that you'll protect the sheep here at Lakeside. Lord, help us not be deceived. Help us not be taken in. Help us never to deviate from the truth. And Lord, for those who have given to other ministries, I pray that they'll stop if they know those ministries are bad. I pray that they'll have discernment and they'll turn away from false teaching. And for those who are curious about false teaching, I pray that they won't go looking, but they'll turn to the elders of the church for protection. And Lord, I realize that for some, they are in darkness still. Perhaps they are in bondage to false teachers. Perhaps they are in bondage to their sin. They've never turned to you. They can't say, as we sung earlier, it's well with my soul. I pray that you would open their eyes now, that they would understand that they are sinners before you, a holy God, the master, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and that if they don't repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they'll have a place of damnation with the false teachers. Lord, open their eyes. Help them understand that Jesus died in the place of sinners, that their sin, not in part but in whole, was nailed to the cross if they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help them to believe. Lord, we pray that we leave here not discouraged, but with our discernment heightened so that we can be light in this dark, dark world. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.